we're four teaching friends from across the country who've discovered that if you don't laugh, you cry and lose sight of your why. I'm Retta. I'm Deanne. I'm Tracy. And we teach so hard. Welcome to our second book group discussion for this summer. Today, we're talking about Becoming by Michelle Obama. Spoiler alert, if you haven't read the book, you might want to listen later. Okay, I have to say that I I came late to the party with this book. It was given to me um, for my birthday, and I didn't have a chance to read it. So I finally read it. And I mean, like, it's so fresh in my mind because I read the entire book yesterday. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, And I loved it. I love memoirs. I think they're one of my favorite um, new genres. And Mm -hmm. um, I loved this book because, well, first of all, the person who wrote it, um, I'm a big fan of Michelle Obama. um, But I also loved it because it really told her journey. And it, and she was very real in it too. Um, I love that. She says, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? Kind of how that's like one of the most useless questions an adult can ask a child as if when you grow up, okay, I've arrived right. And you're static for the rest of your life. Right. Um, and then mm-hmm. becoming, you're always becoming, you're always in a state of becoming. And to me, that's like a very hopeful title and a very hopeful message for the entire book. So that was my first impression. I I adored it. Yeah. It was I, a perfect I title. guess, um, you know, I've, I've been through the book three times now, twice on the audio book, once on the regular book. I watched the um, documentary this weekend on it, which was just amazing. And today I tuned in on Carpool Karaoke to see her in action with uh, uh, J- James Corden. I just, just, oh my gosh, I, I've admired her for so long. And this book gave me a chance to get to know her almost as if she were a friend. Mm-hmm. My first impression was how much her early life was just like my own. And I'm thinking, how can that be? Mm-hmm. You know, we grew up totally different families, I think, in different cities and at different times. But I think it's because she tried to share the possibly more universally experienced episodes of her life. Um, the love of her mother, the support of her brother, the, um, you know, getting to know kids at school and, you know, finding your way there. And, um, and it reminded me, And then, you know, we'll get into the other changes later, but it reminded me of something I've heard from more writers than Michelle Obama, but she said this in her book too. You choose how to tell your story. And it's so important to tell your story, to tell your life story. You heard it in Hamilton. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story, right? Yes. Uh, So she was telling her story And she chose to tell it in such a way, I really believe that the reader would stop and say, hey, that's just like or almost just like what happened to me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I am. You know me about reading. I just get lazy. But um, (laughs) I just the first sentence (laughs) laugh. (laughs) The 
the okay, first sentence. What's the first sentence? <laughs> <laughs> it just got me right into the book, like right away. I mean, mm-hmm. she just has a wonderful way with words. I couldn't put the book down and, um, definitely like what you two say. She just so impressed me that she was so down to earth. I felt like she was my good friend and I just couldn't believe that she's the first lady and she never wanted to get into that, you know? And, um, I mean, her desires, her feelings and fears, I mean, everything that I felt and, and I'm sure both of you also. And, uh, it was just great learning about her life and her early life. I loved getting to know her family, Mm -hmm. you know, her and her, what's the aunt and the uncle that lived downstairs and how the piano plays. It was just, it was just so very cool. I had to look up that first sentence, Deanne. She said her aspirations as a child were simple. She wanted a dog. That's all. That's what I wanted. I wanted a dog, and I wanted to wear glasses. God help me, I don't want glasses. But I, but I wanted to have glasses. But that, but right there, that's where she grabs you, right? Didn't you want a dog? Of course. (laughs) So, so she's your friend. Now she's your friend, and you're and you're listening. She's got your. I would love to meet her in person. Well, and I. Oh gosh, are you kidding? I would be beside myself. I really would. I. I think, too, one of the things that impressed me, you know, when we talk to kids, we talk about how important it is when you're writing to, to pay, you know, write the internal action versus the outer, the, uh, the external action outer. Yes. Whoa, boy. Mm-hmm. I'm fried. The <laughs> We're good today. <laughs> and she's, you know, someone who could have been so buttoned up because she's a huge, you know, political and, and public figure. But she really, I thought, did a really great job of revealing the inner mm-hmm. dialogue that was that. And I think that's what makes this book um, so easy to connect to. Yes. And I love how you how you said that, Tracy, that she could have been so buttoned up, but she didn't. Mm-hmm. She she unfastened the top two buttons and just, you know. We're just all relaxing here. Yes. If she had been a man, she would have taken off the necktie. Exactly. (laughs) And the thing, too, she was like a child in the 50s when it was, you know, it was all the, you know, civil rights stuff was going on and, well, a little bit later than that. But, I mean, she was growing up at a tough time where her parents, you know, had that, you know, they didn't feel quite, what's the word I'm trying to get to? Um, They felt a little, they felt people were prejudiced against them. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly if I'm saying, you know, it right, but, but that's, that's the way they were feeling. So they were, aware I mean, it was of the world. they were aware of the world. Yes. Yes, they were. Well, and she, and she herself said she felt that sense of being the other, of the being other. rejected, of standing to the side. She felt yes. that, yes, um, she you know, and hearing that from a point of white privilege, no matter how hard we try to educate ourselves and, uh, you know, and, and, and try to feel what other people are feeling, especially now in these turbulent times, mm-hmm. we never, never, never could, could actually be in her shoes and feel what she was feeling at certain times of her life. No. no. So let's dig a little deeper and let's talk about um, how her book was organized. It's divided into three sections, Becoming Me, Becoming Us, and Becoming More. So I'm curious, what did you think of how she divided her story? How does it help shape the narrative? And let's talk a little bit about each section. Um, Do you think this was an effective way to tell her story?
Um, I think that was an excellent way to um, tell the story, to divide it that way. You know, the first section was about her childhood, her growing up, teenage years, and her young adulthood. And it was just wonderful learning all about the South Side of Chicago then and her relationship with her parents and her brother, Craig. And again, I'm just going to repeat myself, the aunt and uncle that lived downstairs. And um, mine was completely different than hers, but I could totally relate. So I definitely liked that first section. And um, they, she did a great job getting you into it. And the rest of the sections that she you know, used for the titles just really worked really, really well. And becoming I, I, us and more. Yeah, Go yeah I agree with you that I think it's a perfect way to set it up. Through, through all the stories she told of her childhood, I'm sure many of us were like, yeah, something like that happened to me. I want to know more. I want to know more. And you're reading about all of her stories. Then um, she gets older and she goes to college. And in college, like many of us, she learned there are other ways of being than, than the little you know tight-knit family and her going to the same school. Um, other people aren't always like that. She had... Um, some issues with her college roommate, Suzanne, because, you know, she, she was all buttoned up in the, mm-hmm. all the time, Michelle, and Suzanne was kind of a slob. Yeah. And, and it was good practice for her marriage, as we find out, because Barack is kind <laughs> of a messy, you know, person who's more cerebral than um, material. And, um, and, and that, you know, kind of, kind of prepared her for other ways of being. So that was, that was becoming us because she learned how to be with people outside of her family. And then becoming more is mostly about her um, experiences in politics and in the White House and, you know, different um, causes that she took on as first lady um, very effectively. And it was just a beautiful way to choose to tell her story. Was it the only way? I don't think so. But I love how she did it. Well, I mm-hmm. think that it, it categorized it, it- put her life into phases. And I kept thinking as I was reading this, you know, of the first part, she's still in caterpillar stage. The second part, when she's trying to find her, her legs, you know, cause she wasn't happy as a corporate lawyer of, of what, what is it? Who am I? What am I qualified to do? What do I want to do? What's important to me? I kind of looked at it like she was trying to get a definition of self. Of where do I fit in the big picture? And I was thinking of, you know, okay, there she is hanging, hanging out from the milkweed on the, in the chrysalis or, you know, and then the becoming more, the, the changing into a butterfly. And I know it sounds like, it might sound like such a, um, you know, elementary metaphor, but, but the thing is, is that you could see, I, I got a sense of a blossoming each new section. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, there was like a deepening right? Mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. of who she was and who she was becoming. Mm-hmm. Um, and a deepening of her understanding of herself. Yes. What, and if, what, if you hadn't read the book or, or seen the movie or whatever, the um, butterfly is all most of us know of her. Mm-hmm. And she gave us a lot of insight on how that happened, yeah. how, how she came to You know, be. it really surprised me the most how much she hated politics. I really had no idea. Yeah. You know, she, she just, and how, you know, she, you know, gave Barack grief about, about all the political, you know, aspirations that he had from the senator to everything, but she began to accept it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. she knew she loved him and that was it. And, and he was destined for something bigger. 
Well, I have, he I was. I don't know where this fits, but I just got to say this. My favorite part, I when I watched the documentary, uh, no, I don't know if she yeah, said this We should say book. for our readers, there is a documentary called Becoming on Netflix. You should check it yes. out. It's fabulous. Please. I, read it. or I have to have do time, that myself. If you don't have time to watch it, my favorite part. But this says so much. You know, she was initially supposed to be Barack's mentor. Yeah. And he, yes. he shows up at her law firm. Uh, late, which totally pissed her off to begin with. And then, um, he, you know, she calls him and, and um, okay, so he showed, he, he did show up late, but this was before he even showed up. She called him and she thought, you know, he's this nerdy little guy. She saw his picture with his ears sticking out. And, <laughs> and she thought, this nerdy little guy is coming to be my mentor and he's late and I hate that. So already we're off on the wrong foot. She says, and then he answered that phone with that Barack Obama voice, <laughs> and it was, you know, and it was all over. <laughs> yeah. I think one of that my, my one of my parts, um, and I know, Bretta, you and I had a kind of a sidebar conversation earlier today about this, was when um, she's married and newly married, and then she's a new mother, and Barack's off doing what Barack does, you know, and, and mm-hmm. kind of left to parent to work her full-time job to do all of this Mm -hmm. stuff I felt so outraged for her and I kept thinking Mm -hmm. god it's true behind every powerful man is a good woman because there you go he had that room we didn't talk about this Tracy yeah that room in their apartment called the hole yeah yeah and wouldn't you like to have a hole where you could disappear and just think big thoughts and, yeah. and, and, and write on hundreds of legal pads, all of your ideas I and know. your thoughts while somebody else is doing all your work outside the door. I know. <laughs> oh yeah. There was like this part of me, the feminist in me was like, Oh, yes. seriously. And that's not right. to say, I mean, <laughs> they, they had a come to Jesus moment about some things, but she also, yes, she talked about going to therapy, which I thought, again, this is another thing that makes her so relatable. And That's right. the realization that that resentment she had, she was just going to go ahead and take care of herself and and go work out and do whatever she wanted to do that she needed to do for herself. And, and Right. And, and that was the realization that she had, too, that she wasn't perfect because right. she said she was so shocked their first appointment with that therapist where, you know, she's listening to the therapist talk and she's like, well, wait a minute. I thought we came here to fix him. Yeah. <laughs> she was she was fully prepared for therapy to be like so that someone would point and go see she's right but exactly <laughs> therapy yeah and, and she might have been somewhat used to that in her life given how smart she was mm-hmm. and she was always at the top of her class people probably always were pointing to her and saying see michelle is right yeah <laughs> this time she she wasn't 100 percent right mm-hmm. There's a, a part that I thought was amusing was the way he proposed to her. Yes. Remember, they would, they, would, they would argue and she would say she felt like they should get married. And he was like, no, no, you don't need to do that. And then they had this big argument at that restaurant, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Everybody's probably listening. And then in the dessert comes her ring. Yeah. It was just so cute. I hope everyone has read the book before you're listening to us because we're just so. enjoying our, like all of it. And it's hard not to talk about your favorite part. And it's okay to do that, though, because you know what? So much of the book is good. It's not like we're blowing the plot. It's no. There's so much yeah. goodness. There. That's true. Absolutely. That's true. Okay, so now let's talk about this. Um, 
Michelle Obama writes, she says, and we kind of, we mentioned this earlier in the podcast. Now, I think it's one of the most useless questions an adult can ask a child. What do you want to be when you grow up? As if growing up is finite. As if at some point you become something and that's the end. So when we think about Michelle Obama and her becoming, um, how did her journey, how did the different parts of becoming show how she changed? And when you think about yourself and your own quote unquote becoming, what are your connective points to, to Michelle Obama's story? How, how does her becoming mirror your own? Well, I, I think I, one of the, things, go ahead. Oh, one of the things that, um, really stuck with me. I mean, there was so much of this memoir that resonated with, with me, but one in particular was when she talked about her father dying and then her friend Suzanne dying and Suzanne died at the age of 27. I think I, I remember, right? Yes. I think so. Yep. And the realization that she had because she was so miserable in her chosen career field as a corporate lawyer. She was very unhappy. And those, those two deaths were kind of like a catalyst for her. The realization that life is short and, you know, her friend Suzanne didn't get to do some of these things. And Suzanne, I should say, was someone who was joyful. Um, while Michelle, right. If it wasn't fun, she didn't do right. it. And, and Michelle was always pushing and herself. Michelle talks about her ability to swerve. She swerved several times in her short life. And Michelle would yes. be just sitting there, you know, I could almost see her clicking her tongue and shaking her head, you know, here's Suzanne swerving again. Um, and, and, mm-hmm. and scratching her head about this. But yet then when Suzanne died at 27 of cancer and her, um, that whole story of that, she she actually says in her memoir that she was so happy that Suzanne swerved and got an experience mm-hmm. she could because, you know, you think you have time. And I that resonated with me. And I, I kept thinking about my own little journey of becoming. And, you know, we all lose people we love, whether it's friends or family. But for me, one of the most pivotal things was when my, my mom passed away. She had retired and then she had Alzheimer's and then she was gone. Mm. And um, that was like a slap in the face to me. I, I, I can't even express how I had the same cognition that Michelle Obama wrote about, right? Of, yeah. of okay, am I who I want to be? Am I where I want to be? What is it I want? You know, and sometimes I looked at that total picture of my life and thought, yeah, no, this isn't what I want. So what am and, I and it, even if it is, is there another swerve ahead? For exactly. You? So what am I going to do about it? If I'm unhappy, then what am I? Because I'm so, I am someone who believes if you're unhappy, then you need to put your butt in motion and find a way to fix it. Um, Absolutely. So to me, that was like my huge kind of beco- uh, becoming connection, uh, that part of the book, especially just, I read it and went, oh my God, yes. It's like, I, I wrote this. This is like, I wrote this. Mm-hmm. How about you guys? Well, uh, another part that she was talking about was how the world can be so brutal and random. Mm-hmm. 
Um, she talks about the, a bully, an encounter with a bully, and the wisdom that her mother gave her, that that boy was just scared and angry about things that had nothing to do with you. Oh, yeah. And your face just happened to be in the way of his fist. I don't, I don't know that my mother would have handled it quite that way, but I got some, some wisdom from, you know, from my parents too. She also said, regardless of what I chose to do, I knew I, I was bound to disappoint someone. And my dad was kind of famous in our family for saying that mm-hmm. to me, you know, when I'd walk out the door into a new experience, going, going to junior high, going to high school, going off to college, getting married, you know, and he'd say, if somebody doesn't like you, that's their problem. There's got to be something wrong with them because you're so likable. And, <laughs> and, and you can always choose to come back here, mm-hmm. you know, like keeping the nest open. Right. And yet pushing the little bird off off of the edge at the same time. And I think I think in many ways her parents did that too. And you know, that she knew no matter what you do, somebody's not gonna like it. And I think, you know, through my whole life I've realized that. And another thing um that was important to her, you know, as she, as, she, as she grew up, she she went for years like kind of basking in her brother's glory. Like I'm the little sister of Craig Robinson, yeah, and he he was this fabulous athlete and super student, and everybody loved him, and you know the teachers loved him, the other kids loved him, and she just kind of decided to you know hang hang loose and be his little sister, and I saw my own little sister doing that for a while, and and it just it it you know kind of kind of made me chuckle, and eventually mm-hmm. eventually you know when a teacher um said something to her like, oh, you're Retta's little sister. You're going to have a great year. She was like, I'm going to show her. We're not having such a great year. <laughs> and and, and I, I watched my own little sister turn into a butterfly that way. She became her own person. She did things that, you know, that I never could do. She was athletic. She loved the outdoors. I loved sitting in the house reading. She didn't come with her book and sit next to me in the dark room and read. <laughs> she, she, you know, she she had her own epiphany about it, yeah. and and so I I saw that happening in Michelle's family too, and um, all of that leads to who you become, you know, throughout your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, one more thing, for some reason, I have a note here for that: that grief and resilience live together. Mm-hmm. Don't look too quickly past the pain of others. And a lot of people, I think, don't see that. If you, if you will stop, and the way you've seen her do, and and hug, whether virtually or literally, um, and and suffer the pain, feel the pain that others are feeling, that helps you to grow. You become more resilient too by being with someone in their grief mm-hmm. instead of running from it, instead of looking past it and saying it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. True. Well, when I was teaching, I used to say things that, you know, her parents said about the bullies, you know, that they're very unhappy and that type of thing. So, you know, I was able to relate to that. Um, But when I was 15, I lost my mother and I was angry. And at that age, you know, it's really, it's hard to deal with it either way, but I, I just wouldn't even talk about it. And I didn't get along that well with my dad. So I moved in with an aunt and uncle and their kids, 
And what happened is they overprotected me and I hated myself. I hated my life. I just, uh, I was so miserable and becoming, I finally moved out at 25. I had to like drag myself out because they didn't want me to leave because I don't know what their problem was, but well, anyway, they, so, they were nurturing you and, and caring for you. Yeah, they did. But you yeah. know, there's a point where it's too much and sure. I finally moved out, um, lost my virginity <laughs> and, you know, became... <laughs> And oh became my God, Dan! Yes, I did. Twenty five. Do you believe it? Twenty five. And I was so embarrassed. <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing yeah. I loved about Michelle Obama's, and it goes with what you just said. She yeah. talked about shacking up with Obama with the Barack Obama, yeah. and I was like, "All right, <laughs> yeah, you got to you got to read the book just for that, right?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then I became me. You know, I just became happy with myself and my life. Yeah. yeah. So it's amazing. Our journeys are also similar. Yes. All right. Yeah. Let's get down to tax here. What um what surprise? Wait, one more one more thing. Amaya Angelo quote quote fits <laughs> so perfectly here. We are more alike, my friend, than we are unlike. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. now you can go on. But that's yeah. so true. That is so, so true. So let's talk about what are some things that surprised you about Michelle Obama? You, Deanne, let's hear from you. Oh, me. Oh, I'm looking around. I think really what totally surprised me the most is that she hated, hated, hated politics and she didn't want to ever have anything to do with it. And, um, you know, how she eventually changed after, you know, going to the therapy and everything, as we said before. And she began to realize, um, you know, that she had it, it was for others. You know, there was something more that they were destined, I guess, to do. Mm. So. For me, it was how she so many times in her life felt alone and marginalized. And it was that was hard for me to see. And I had to really work at that, get get in her position and see why, why that might have occurred. And, you know, and, and admire the way, you know, she was able to work past it. And she talks about it was in the book. I'm positive this was in the book. She, as first lady, was working with a focus group of students, and she did that a lot. She'd get kids, mm-hmm. kids who grew up on the South Side, kids who grew up Black, kids who grew up, you know, in situations similar to hers, and she'd get them together and get them to open up. And she, this, this really hit me. This one surprised me. What do you think of when you hear somebody say, today is going to be 80 degrees and sunny? Do you remember mm-hmm. that? And, and you know, if you're looking at it from your p- point of white privilege, oh, boy, I love it, right? 80 degrees and sunny. I can go out on the boat. I can go to the beach. I can play basketball in my driveway, you know, blah, blah, blah. I can do all these wonderful outdoor things. To a kid who lives in the situation where she grew up on the south side of Chicago, 80 degrees and sunny means there's going to be a lot of gang activity and people are going to die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's true in you know Chicago, Detroit, so many places still in our country, and it's so sad. It is sad. It is. It all depends upon where you, which angle you're coming from. Yeah, 
and you know where you were born and who you were born to and yep. so that was a big surprise to me that you know at the same time I was growing up there were people growing up who did love to go outside and frolic at 80 degrees and sunny but who viewed it with fear well and mm-hmm. isn't that what this is all about you know when I as we what we do as teachers you know the teaching of empathy we've talked a lot about that in this podcast why is yes. teaching empathy so important for social justice well, just for that reason, that you have an awareness of someone else's perspective and reality. And it, it, that awareness, you can't have empathy if you don't have that awareness. So that whole thing of being, quote unquote, colorblind, that's why that is so detrimental. Because mm-hmm. yeah, you can't teach that to kids. Any, not if anymore. You, if you if you are someone who chooses to be, quote unquote, colorblind, that means you've blocked out an awareness of what someone else's exist day to day existence is like. That's right, and somebody's and pain. that means you can't you know? understand. Right, you're walking past exactly. their pain. Uh-huh. And if you walk past their pain, then you you don't stand up for them. You don't speak up. You don't say something. You don't do what's right because you have no awareness or understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, I thought that was a huge see- lesson to. Yes. Um, and we see so much of that today. It's just so sad. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, you know? do we ever see it today? It's all around us. I mean, I, we're all coping with yep. that, aren't we? Watching what we mm-hmm. watch um, on social media sure. and on the news and on television, and it's soul sucking. And I'm, I'm a mm-hmm. white woman, it so is. I can't even imagine what that's like for a black person. Um, no, yeah. but you can. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. You can and we can keep forcing ourselves to look at it, to sit sit with it, and to stand up. I call it, it bearing witness, and we yes. see that all the time when we talk about, um, you know, after World War II and the Holocaust. That's so much about why the Shoah Foundation and all of their work has been so important. It's extremely important that we bear witness to what happened. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because if we don't, we will be right back there, which is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if, so that, and if you don't learn, if you don't learn from your mistakes, history exactly. just keeps repeating itself, and we can't. Let so it happen. we've gotten really heavy, but doggone it, we had important things to say. This book, That's this right. book has a lot of important things to say. At the same time, being very entertaining and. Um, feeling like you're having coffee or a glass of wine with your best friend. So it was, it was beautifully written. So ladies, we are just about out of time and I, I want to wrap up and talk about, um, I think next yeah, week, let's talk about the, because the, I think we've already kind of <clears throat> talked about our favorite parts. So next week, yes. um, we hope that you join us. Um, you need to make sure that you tune in to listen. We're doing another, um, book uh, recommendation in our summer teacher read series. It's called the giver of stars by Jojo. Moore. Yes. And it is historical fiction. Oh, one of my favorite genres. I can't wait. I have to write it down. I got to get going. <laughs> <laughs> um, this it's, it's um, this is Kathy's book choice. And so we can't wait. Yes. She'll be joining us. She was not able to join us this week. She's had some family things, but she'll be joining us next week to, to help us with that dis- book discussion. So 
Yay. Yeah. Can I just ask you, who's the author of that? Like, Jojo Moyes. Jo- yeah, Jojo, Jojo Moyes, M-O-Y-E-S. So our listeners, thank you for joining us today. If you like what you hear, give us a shout out on social media, share us with your teacher friends, or better yet, give us a rating on iTunes or, or your listening platform. Um, and make sure you come back next week because you teach so hard. Bye.